MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. Today, Mo Brooks throws the White House and Trump under the bus. Four district attorneys in New York are asking for information from the New York Attorney General to determine whether to open a criminal investigation into Cuomo as the New York Times editorial board calls for his resignation. Two parents sue Arkansas over their ban on masks in school. A federal judge sanctions Colorado MAGA lawyers and a $5,800 bottle of whiskey goes missing. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Thursday. Happy Thursday. And I'm going to have a great show for you today. I'm going to be talking with Adam Klasfeld later about the Mo Brooks thing. He filed. He's representing himself, which is an idiotic decision. And this is after the Department of Justice told him to pound sand. They weren't going to help him out. Uh, So he's got some interesting pleas to the court. Uh, Judge Amit Mehta, I don't think I think they're going to fall on deaf ears and I'll make some predictions in that segment. And then later on, Amy Carrero is joining us for the good news because Dana is still out of town. And tomorrow I'll be speaking with the host of the Rick Smith show, Rick himself, Rick Smith. He's the newest member of the MSW Media family. You can get more information at MSWmedia.com and the host of the Start Me Up podcast, Kimberly Johnson. That's tomorrow. I'll be traveling to New York, but as always, I'll have content for you. Got a little breaking news right now for you before I get into the the scripted news, always last minute stuff happening. First of all, the Pentagon is going to be forcing, uh, mandating, forcing whatever our military, active duty military members to take the COVID vaccine. This is before it gets full use authorization, which should happen in the next couple of weeks. But I think that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is going to make this move as soon as this week. And that's good. That's good news. I appreciate that. And, um, Let's see what else there's. uh, So that looks like mainstream media is blowing up today about this Jeffrey Clark letter, which I tweeted about last night and and was screaming. Why isn't anyone talking about this? So I'm glad they're talking about it today. And I'm going to go over that thread that I put on Twitter about what I think the Justice Department is doing. And if not, what they should be doing. And I'm going to do that this Sunday on the Mueller She Wrote podcast. So uh, I didn't want to break down that Jeffrey Clark letter here, although it's a hair on fire letter. I mean, he he is there was <laughs> conspiracy to overthrow the United States government between Jeffrey Clark and Donald Trump and several other people. And there's a huge pattern. And I go over the thing in its entirety. And I'll be doing that on Mueller, she wrote. So I didn't want to double that up, but I just wanted to get that out there. I know it's big news. I was screaming about it last night on Twitter. We do have a lot of other news to get to. Let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Lead story today is that Mo Brooks is defending himself now that the Department of Justice has told him you can't try to murder your boss and claim it's part of your job, dipshit. I'm paraphrasing. Morris, I like to call him Morris, is now trying to get himself removed from Swalwell's lawsuit by petitioning the court directly, saying he was acting within the scope of his job because he was just cooperating with the White House when he made his speech, when he made his right names and kick ass speech at the ellipse ahead of the attack on the Capitol. So, yeah, I, I was just I was just doing what the White House said. And then he 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 goes further. He even takes it a step further to throw the White House under the bus. And I'm going to speak to Adam Klasfeld about that later in the show about this particular filing and petition to the court. It's really interesting. And I also wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone who reached out to see how I was doing. 
after reading the Cuomo allegations during the show yesterday. I'm doing great. I have a wonderful support network, including y'all. And I wanted to uh, leave that panic attack bit in the show in case it helped anyone to hear me talk my way through it. But speaking of that piece, remember uh, later in the show, I talked with Jennifer Taub. She's the author of Big Dirty Money. And she and I talked about district attorneys in New York perhaps taking up the Cuomo case on criminal grounds. And she specifically mentioned Westchester. And the district attorney there is our friend and previous guest on The Daily Beans, Mimi Roca. Well, Mimi Roca, along with the district attorneys in three other districts, including Albany and Manhattan, have asked the attorney general, Tish James, to hand over materials and evidence so they can determine whether or not to open criminal investigations into Governor Cuomo, who is still not wanting to resign, although everyone wants him to. And now the powerful New York Times editorial board has joined Pelosi, Schumer, Gillibrand, the New York State Assembly, President Biden, the most other Democrats in the universe in calling for Cuomo to resign. The piece is entitled simply, You Should Resign, Governor Cuomo. And it starts out, I'll just read it to you. Last winter, after the first wave of accusations of sexual misconduct and harassment by Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York came to light, this board called for an investigation to run its course and for legal authorities to carry out the slow and careful work of separating allegations from evidence. At the same time, we question whether Mr. Cuomo could continue to serve as the state's leader, given both the seriousness of the allegations and the collapse of political support among his allies in New York and Washington. The answer, which came on Tuesday in the form of a thorough and damning report by the state's attorney general, Letitia James, is a decisive no. From the report, for which investigators interviewed 179 witnesses and gathered more than 74,000 pieces of evidence, two things are clear. First, Mr. Cuomo may yet face legal consequences for his alleged actions, which include a years-long pattern of unwelcome and non-consensual touching, offensive comments, and other improper behavior toward at least 11 women, several on his staff. Second, regardless of what may happen in a court of law, the governor has only one conscionable option left. He should resign. Mr. Cuomo continues to deny that he did anything wrong, suggesting that all the women who have come forward somehow misinterpreted his touching and physicality in the same way. Quote, I am 63 years old. I have lived my entire adult life in public view, he said in a recorded video released shortly after the report came out. That is just who I am. He failed to note that many of the allegations against him involve conduct that happened not in public, but behind closed doors, in elevators or over the phone. Most people would object to the behaviors detailed here, but the fact that it was coming from the most powerful person in New York state, often toward direct subordinates, makes it all the more disturbing. Ann Clark, one of the investigators, said in a news conference that in one case, a state trooper told him that while she and Mr. Cuomo shared an elevator, he ran his finger from her neck down her spine and said, hey, you. And that in a separate incident, she was standing holding the door open for the governor. And as he passed, he took his open hand, ran it across her stomach from her belly button to the hip where she keeps her gun. She told us that she felt completely violated to have the governor touch her, as she put it, between her chest and her privates. The stories get worse, and the women who came forward to share them, even in the face of threats of retaliation, as detailed in the report, should be commended for their bravery. The calls for Mr. Cuomo to step down only grew louder Tuesday. Top Democrats, including President Biden and Speaker Nancy Pelosi, added their names to the expanding list of those who have come to see that it is untenable for Mr. Cuomo, among the nation's highest profile and most powerful governors, to remain in office. Mr. Cuomo has always had a self-serving streak and been known for his political bullying. He also has used those traits to be an effective politician and in many of his achievements as governor, won the public's trust. What this report lays out, however, are credible accusations that can't be looked past. 
As Ms. James said on Tuesday, Mr. Cuomo's alleged conduct corrodes the very fabric and character of our state government and shines light on injustice that can be present at the highest levels of government. So I encourage you to read that op-ed. And now uh, to Arkansas. Two parents of school-aged children in Arkansas sued the state Monday in an effort to strike down its ban on mask mandates. This is the first major legal challenge against such a statewide order as state prohibitions on mask mandates and you know, vaccination cards become a growing source of contention amid the Delta variant's spread. This lawsuit, filed in court in Arkansas's Pulaski County against the state legislature's leadership and Governor Asa Hutchinson, seek to strike down Arkansas's Act 1002 of 2021, which prohibits any state agency or entity, a political subdivision of the state or state or local official from requiring face coverings, including schools. The parents allege the mask mandate ban violates the state constitution's separation of powers clause and equal protection measures and violates the rights of children in public schools by preventing school districts and the state from adopting all suitable means to secure the people the advantages and opportunities of education. It's a really great suit. The lawsuit seeks both temporary injunction against the ban on mask mandates and for the law to be struck down permanently and declared unconstitutional. I expect to see more suits like this in the coming weeks. I hope we do. Now, from an outlet called National Zero, and I am liking this outlet because they use appropriate profanity. Quote, really had a hard time picking which part of Judge Reed Nureter's decision in favor of sanctions against a bunch of no-name MAGA lawyers to use for this article. Every page I've skimmed is a laugh, and these assholes who sued, and the, the list is a long list, they sued Dominion, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg's wife, for whatever fucking reason, each of the governors and secretaries of the state of Georgia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, plus Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers, and finally six members of the Wisconsin Election Commission, individually named since Wisconsin doesn't have a secretary of state, in a class action, quote, brought on behalf of all American registered voters alleging that their constitutional right to vote for president somehow was unconstitutionally infringed on or burdened by the defendants. This is in a Colorado federal court on December 22nd, 2020. Here's what the judge said. For the reasons stated above, I find the following, that this lawsuit was filed in bad faith. Number two, the plaintiff's counsel's legal contention that the plaintiffs had Article Three standing to bring this suit was not warranted by existing law or a non-frivolous case argument for extending, modifying, or reversing existing law or establishing new law. To the contrary, I find the plaintiff's counsel's arguments on the issue of standing frivolous. Number three, that the plaintiff's counsel act of filing a lawsuit in Colorado against state officials from Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin was not warranted by existing law or a non-frivolous argument for extending, modifying, or reversing existing law or establishing new law. To the contrary, it was obvious that there was no personal jurisdiction in Colorado over these defendants and suit against these state officials should never have been filed in Colorado. And four, that in light of the unusual and highly volatile circumstances of this case and the surrounding political environment, plaintiff's counsel did not conduct a reasonable inquiry into whether the factual contentions had evidentiary support. We've seen this over and over again. Without doing any independent confirmation via, for example, the hiring of experts or speaking to lawyers who had filed other failed lawsuits, they improperly accepted allegations from those suits and from media reports at face value and cut and pasted them into their complaint and amended complaint. Number five, that because of its inherent legal flaws and the inadequate inquiry into the factual allegation by plaintiff's counsel, this lawsuit should never have been filed in the first place or using the Tenth Circuit's test, no reasonable attorney admitted to practice before this district court would file such a document. That plaintiff's counsel filing for a motion for leave to amend 
without addressing the obvious fatal problems with standing and lack of personal jurisdiction while attempting to add RICO claims based on a Time magazine article that provided no support for such claims was a violation of 28 U.S. Code 1927 in that attempt to amend unreasonably and vexatiously multiplied the proceedings. Number seven, that plaintiff's counsel improperly included in a federal complaint a highly disputed and inflammatory statements by the former president stating categorically that Dominion deleted 2.7 million Trump votes nationwide without doing anything to independently verify the truth of that statement. The judge goes on to award attorney's fees to the defendants, but doesn't mention anything else about further professional sanctions for the MAGA clowns, which is kind of a letdown. But this decision was a joy to behold. 10 out of 10 would skim again. So I would, I really like this outlet. I'm going to be checking them out more. They're called National Zero. And finally, whiskey emoluments with a sad ending from the New York Times. The State Department is investigating the whereabouts of a $5,800 bottle of whiskey the Japanese government gave to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo in 2019, according to two people briefed on the inquiry and a document made public on Wednesday. It was unclear whether Mr. Pompeo ever received the gift as he was traveling in Saudi Arabia on June 24th, 2019, the day that the Japanese officials gave it to the State Department. That's according to a department filing on Wednesday in the Federal Register, documenting gifts that senior American officials received in 2019. Such officials are often insulated by staff members who receive gifts and messages for them. American officials can keep gifts that are less than $390, but if the officials want to keep gifts that are over that price, they must purchase them. According to the filing, the State Department said the bottle was appraised at $5,800. The department also took the unusual step of noting that the whereabouts of the whiskey is unknown. Similar findings over the past two decades make no mention of any similar investigations. The department is looking into the matter and has an ongoing inquiry, according to the filing. Mr. Pompeo, through his lawyer, William Burke, remember that guy, said he had no recollection of receiving the bottle of whiskey and did not have any knowledge of what happened to it or that there was a department inquiry into its whereabouts. He didn't know anything. Quote, he has no idea what the disposition was of this bottle of whiskey, according to Mr. Burke. Under the Constitution, it is illegal for an American official to accept a gift from a foreign government and gifts are considered property of the United States government. So that's this is our bottle of whiskey and it's missing and I'm pissed. The founders included the measures to stop foreign governments from gaining undue influence over any American officials. Any officials caught accepting gifts can face civil penalties or impeachment if they're still in office. The State Department provided no other details about the bottle or the investigation. According to two people briefed on the matter, the U.S. government was never paid for the bottle, and the department has asked its inspector general to determine what happened to it. It was unclear what kind of whiskey the Japanese gave to Mr. Pompeo. Most Japanese whiskeys taste similar to those made in Ireland, Scotland, or the United States. But prices for aged Japanese whiskeys have risen drastically in recent years, into the thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars. The increase has been attributed to demand for Japanese whiskeys. And Stevan Van Eiken, the author of the 2017 book Whiskey Rising, about Japanese whiskey, Demand fell off significantly in the 80s, prompting a decrease in production, but picked up again around 2008, increasing the value of Japanese whiskey, particularly decades-old varieties. Quote, there is enormous demand for well-heeled collectors, especially in Asia, who will gladly pay the equivalent of a nice sports car for a single bottle of really old Japanese whiskey. Well, as an American taxpayer, I demand our whiskey be returned to us, along with that yacht. Remember the yacht we got? Seized. The seized yacht. Yeah, we should we get the whiskey on the boat. We have a party. Don't invite Bannon or Mansion. All right. Anyway, that's the news for today. I expect major news to happen over the next four days since I'll be out of town. Again, I'll have great content for you. I look forward to seeing a bunch of you, our patrons, this Friday at 5 p.m. in Lower Manhattan. The details are being sent out right now for the location. 
And you can sign up to come to that at patreon.com slash the daily beans. We'll be right back with Adam Klasfeld. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Gill from The Daily Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Ground News. Being a person who is constantly watching the news, I am glued to it. I am gathering information from a variety of sources all day. I personally think the current media landscape is kind of fundamentally flawed. Today's press is no longer neutral. It's become financially motivated to publish divisive content and to just to generate clicks. Since Trump's been gone, they don't have that anger thing anymore. So they're making these stories dramatic. Social media dividing people into tribes is further aggravating the polarization. But Ground News is one of the few companies out there trying to solve this problem. It's a new startup aimed at rebuilding that shared sense of reality and putting readers back in control of how the news is presented. Founded by a former NASA engineer, they are a news comparison platform, basically, empowering readers to see how sources with different underlying biases are covering a story from a balanced view of the day's most important news. It's really cool. The platform is apolitical, and for anyone who's not afraid of having their opinions challenged and open to seeing multiple perspectives on controversial issues. Ground has an immense library of sources featuring over 50,000 outlets from across the world and political spectrum. You can see every side of every side so you can come to your own conclusions. Their blind spot feature is awesome. It enables you to check your news blind spot and to see stories that aren't being reported by one side of the political spectrum that you would otherwise miss in your bubble. This is great for your parents and your Uncle Frank and your grandpa, by the way. This is what I got my mom on now. Ground is what I want the future of news to look like, right? Nonpartisan, only interested in keeping you informed, no matter your politics. So try it for yourself. Search for Ground News in the App Store or click on the link that's in the podcast show notes to download the free Ground News app. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation all day, I have to say. <laughs> and, and joining me to have it is host of the Objections podcast, Adam Klasfeld. Hi, Adam. Hi, Allison. <laughs> First of all, everyone has to check out Objections. I think you just, didn't you just talk to the Detroit lawyer in the Kraken just thing? did, David Fink. He, uh, always a barn burning conversation. And, and he is working hard to uh, hold the Kraken team uh, accountable for sanctions. Uh, and we had a very wide-ranging conversation about the litigation, about democracy in America, whole host of topics. Yeah, he's he's rad. I'm, I, I, I loved listening to him in that hearing. He didn't have to do much. I mean, they kind of dug their own hole over there on the Kraken side, but uh, we don't have any updates in the Kraken sanctions as of yet, right? I think the last thing was the criminal contempt filing against not Mike Lindell, but Lynn Wood, for for playing recordings of, of the proceeding. Am I right? Is that the last we've heard? Right, right. Well, there is a little bit of post-hearing briefing going on. Uh, you had uh, David Fink filing a new motion, essentially saying, it, calling out Linwood's efforts to distance himself from the litigation when he said otherwise in public forums, including on Twitter responding to an article on law and crime that I had written. So uh, there was a motion that David Fink had filed. Uh, There was just today, there was a development in an analogous case. There was a sanctions ruling where a federal judge in Colorado absolutely (laughs) skewered people who filed what I described as a spaghetti on the wall post-election lawsuit that blamed Trump's loss on Dominion, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, and various public officials of both parties in four states. That failed, and a federal law, a federal judge was very mm-hmm. angry. Now, 
you asked me a little bit earlier, how does that relate to the uh, Kraken litigation? Immediately, counsel for Governor Gretchen Whitmer told the federal judge in Michigan presiding over the Kraken case, hey, judge, you may want to look at this Colorado judge's thoroughly indignant ruling. Mm -hmm. So that is still something that the court will take into consideration regarding the crack. Yeah, that was pretty great. I covered that a little bit earlier in the show. And I have to admit, yeah, that you and I have talked about some bench slapping, but that was pretty hardcore. <laughs> the, the reason I wanted to have you on today is because of what happened in court or on the docket, at least with Mo Brooks. As we know, he filed a petition to be certified by the Department of Justice in the, in the Swalwell suit, right? Swalwell sued him and Rudy and Trump and Trump Jr. saying they incited the riot, conspiracies, all these counts. It's a civil lawsuit. And then Mo Brooks was like, well, I don't, I suck and I don't have any money. So I'm going to ask the Department of Justice to take my name off of it and, and put, be put there instead because what I was doing was within the scope of my job as a, as a federal employee. And the Department of Justice said, yeah, no, you were campaigning. And even if you weren't, you were instigating a, 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 a insurrection. None of that qualifies. We're sorry. And no, nor does it for any federal employee. And so now uh, and I, we t I talked about this and you and I talked about this, too. He still had remedy. He could still go to the court and ask to be certified. And uh, I, I believe that's what he did. And it's hard to kind of tell. His his filing opens up with, I'm a good man. My kids don't smoke and I go to church. It's just a weird filing, but he's representing himself. Right. And uh, presumably because he doesn't have a lot of money or he's dumb or both. But tell us a little bit about this filing. He's he's, he's still saying, by the way, that he was working. He was working within the scope of his employment. You know, this is within the scope of his job, his duties as a congressman. But he gives a real interesting reason why. Right. And if you when you read the ruling uh, after he talks about how the fact that he's always been faithful to his wife and all those preliminaries, he goes into the crux of his argument. And that argument is that he, on the day that he was giving the speech at the ellipse, he says he was collaborating uh, with the White House, that the choice to collaborate or not collaborate with the White House is something that affects his official duties. In that, he's a member of Congress, and it could affect how uh, everything, how he can be effective for his constituents. That's the argument. Uh, and it's, as you mentioned, the Department of Justice, when you, when you are a public official and you are claiming Westfall Act immunity, the way that it usually works, as you mentioned, you go to the Justice Department and you say, hey, I was just doing something in my official duties. And as you said, the Justice Department's uh, response to that was, no, you were campaigning and uh, allegedly inciting an insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. Neither of these things are official duties. So his response was essentially to say, uh, well, collaborating with the White House is an official duty. So he he appears, you know, directly implicating uh, the White House in his decision to deliver that speech at the ellipse. Yeah. And here's the weird part to me that I, if I were a judge, which I'm not, I'm not even a lawyer. But to me, I would say, well, you know, according to the Department of Justice, you were giving a campaign speech, even if I was to presume that that wasn't a campaign speech. 
the the Department of Justice goes on to say that this case should not be certified. You should not be certified uh, to be replaced by the Department of Justice in this lawsuit, because if if what Swalwell alleges is true, then you instigated an attack on the Capitol. And that can't be part of your job. You can't, killing your boss can't be part of your job. It's just mm-hmm. the way that it goes, just logically speaking, and then also legally and constitutionally speaking. And I, I would have to say, either if I were responding to this filing or as a judge in this case, I would have to say, look, if you are telling me you coordinated with the White House, then you're saying you coordinated with the White House. If if what's true in this case, you coordinated with the White House to instigate an attack on the Capitol, still not covered mm-hmm. by the Westfall Act, my friend. And by the way, thanks for admitting you coordinated with the White House, because if it comes out in the wash that you instigate an attack on the Capitol, as you said, Adam, you have implicated the White House in instigating an attack on the Capitol, mm-hmm. which we all know to be the, the case. But to see it in black and white, blew my mind and he says uh specifically in the brief that he filed uh on his own behalf he's representing himself as you mentioned that he this was with communication with the white house that he delivered this speech uh so he asserted that he put that forward that's his pitch for the federal judge to uh, go against the Department of Justice's recommendation, the plaintiff's recommendation, his pitch, what he landed on is I was collaborating with the White House. Um, and he, he, he it's a little bit, uh, to, to be absolutely precise, it's somewhat in, more indirect, and I'll grab the article by my uh, colleague, uh, uh, Jerry Lombe uh, at Law and Crime, but he... The, the quoted passage, he claims it's absolutely a part of the job and duties of a U.S. congressman. Here's the relevant line. Cooperating or not cooperating with the White House affects a congressman's effectiveness. Certainly rejecting the request of the White House to give a speech at the ellipse could hurt a congressman's effectiveness. So he appears to be floating this uh, this defense of I could face consequences if I say no to the White House, um, which <laughs> we actually obviously know to be true. The, uh, Trump has repeatedly uh, lashed out to people at people who don't do his bidding. Now, I don't know if that's true precisely in the way the congressman intends. But as you said, that's what he went with in black and white. Well, right, because... Well, you know, I I have more questions, but I need to take a break. (laughs) I need to take a break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. You got it. Uh Oh, hi, everybody. It's Allison Gill. I haven't had this one in a while. It's my favorite cereal ever. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. If you love cereal, but you're looking for a healthier option that still tastes amazing, Magic Spoon is for you. Actually tastes better than most foods. Magic Spoon is super nutritious. It's packed with protein, but it tastes exactly like the delicious cereals from your childhood. Magic Spoon magically has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four net grams of carbs, and only 140 calories per serving. It is deep breath, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry, and cinnamon, and peanut butter. I love the new flavors, and combining them is awesome, too. Cocoa with peanut butter tastes like a peanut butter cup. I also like cocoa and cinnamon. It's so good. So go to magicspoon.com slash daily beans to grab a custom bundle and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code daily beans at checkout to save $5 off your order. 
His offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. Ding, ding, ding. Yay. But only when you use our code at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious box of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by Upstart. Uh, If you're dreading looking at your credit card statements every month, you're not alone. Debt can feel very crippling and overwhelming, like this dark cloud following you around. But Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. Upstart is the fast, easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online. Whether you're paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score. They look at your income and employment history, stuff like that, which means they can offer smarter rates for you with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And upon approval, funds can be available as quickly as one business day. I know so many people are struggling right now, hating, dreading that credit card bill. You know, and it's just, it's been really bad, especially over the pandemic. We've been living off our credit cards. So I recommend checking out Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today. Go to upstart.com slash dailybeans. That's upstart.com slash dailybeans. And don't forget to use this particular URL because it lets them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and other certain information provided in your loan application. Just head to upstart.com slash dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking with Adam Klasfeld about Mo Brooks filing today. And uh, before the break, uh, you had mentioned what he said word for word there in his filing. And my my question is, this sounds familiar. This sounds like what the 535 insurrectionists are saying. Trump told me to do it. Trump invited me. Trump sent me. Did he say what the purpose of the speech was supposed to be? Because we know it, it can't be a campaign speech. Otherwise, it's not covered. And we know that you can't be instigating an attack on the Capitol. Otherwise, that's not covered by certification either. Did he go on to say, I was coordinating with the White House. The White House told me to give this speech at the Ellipse as part of a like, w- w- did he say how that speech and coordinating with the White House was part of his job other than Trump would be mad at him if he didn't do it? Like, did he give a purpose? Well, he claims that he was serving the the his constituents. He's denied in the past that he when he says that when he was at the ellipse giving this inflammatory speech, uh, basically uh, saying our ancestors sacrificed their blood, their sweat, their tears, their fortunes. Uh, Are you going to fight for America? He claims he was talking about fighting in the upcoming elections, not the election that the Stop the Steal rally was all about. That's his claim. But that still makes it a campaign speech. Right. Absolutely. I'm not uh, commenting on (laughs) the (laughs) effectiveness of his argument, but that's the argument that he's (laughs) making. And it's the argument that he's making against the, you know, not only is the DOJ rejecting his interpretation, not only are the plaintiffs rejecting his interpretation, we need to remember he's the amicus. Uh, There are friend of the court briefs from some of the most serious First Amendment lawyers out there um, who have rejected the interpretation that this was First Amendment-related activity. So he's going after some serious legal firepower, essentially pro se. Um, He is a lawyer, um, but he decided to fight this on his own. Um, There is an adage about that. And I think you and the listeners know that. But that's the 
argument that he's landing on. He does claim that the there's an innocent interpretation to the speech that he was delivering, that it wasn't about the election, that the event was explicitly designed to dispute. It wasn't about the 2020 election. It was about upcoming elections that they should fight. Uh, and, you know, like their ancestors sacrificed their blood, their sweat, their tears, uh, that this speech he claims was about upcoming elections, even though the entire event that day, the entire uh, rally at the Ellipse was about the 2020 election. Yeah. And again, if if he was speaking for the president in coordination with the president for the upcoming election, that is a campaign rally. It is not part of your speech, even if you're not campaigning for yourself. Uh, I'm pretty sure. And I still think I mean, the court has to answer this. Right. Which judges is this? Which judge is this? So this is before Judge Meta in the District of Columbia. Okay, yeah, I'll meet Meta. Okay. Uh, Yeah, we're not talking Trevor McFadden or anything. So (laughs) I think (laughs) I have to say, I assuming that the the, this judge will make a ruling on the filing that uh, because this is a motion that he filed, right, that Mo Brooks filed, isn't it? Yes, this is Mm -hmm. his response uh, to it's titled his verified reply uh, to the briefs opposing his petition to certify that he's immune under the Westfall Act. So he's arguing against all of the arguments, the arguments by the DOJ, the arguments by uh, Representative Swalwell that he does not qualify for Westfall immunity. He says, au contraire, uh, I was collaborating with Trump, essentially. And he's petitioning the court for certification since the DOJ, he's basically, I think this is right. He's also asking the court to certify him. He's not just replying. He, yes, he is. This yeah. is in in service. This is a reply to their reply, but it's his motion. He's asking the court to certify Remove him from the lawsuit. Exactly. Yeah. OK, well, I I have a feeling we're going to get the same answer that the DOJ gave from Judge Meta, which will be, hey, Coordinating with the White House or not, if you were coordinating the White House with a campaign speech, that doesn't count. And if what Swalwell alleges in his lawsuit is true, then you were coordinating with the White House to instigate an attack on the Capitol. Also not covered. Denied. uh, Blah, blah, blah. You're still on the lawsuit. It may proceed. That's kind of how I think this will go. And then uh, finally, he can appeal that, can't he? There. uh, (laughs) I believe that any kind of interlocutory rulings there may be available for appeal. I would, you know, I'm I'm more of a reporter than a legal expert, so I'm not going to uh, pre- predict that. And I can't really say with confidence uh, right now whether uh, whether that would be jurisdictionally permissible. Um, what what the arguments would be against that appeal. But generally speaking, uh, pretrial rulings are appealed all the time. As a matter of fact, uh, when President, former President Trump was denied immunity by Judge Kaplan, that was appealed before the Second Circuit. So uh, presumably would fall under the same sort of procedure. So the answer, <laughs> the short answer would be yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see, right? We'll see what happens. He is representing himself again, as assuming he just doesn't have the money or he's dumb, <laughs> like I said, or both a fool, I should say. Right. A fool. 
uh, as the old adage says. But, uh, you know, those are that's where my beans are. I think that the judge Meta is going to have the exact same answer here as the Department of Justice did. Uh, but it, it, uh, it, this is a new twist, though, isn't it, that he's implicated the White House? Right. That he said that I was cooperating and that cooperating with the White House has consequences. So does not cooperating. And his entire pitch is cooperation. Trump made me do it. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> as i've said the circular firing squad that is the republican party it's 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 interesting to watch i mm. and you know i mean we laugh here but this is these are very very serious matters and, and i really hope that the department of justice is doing a wide-ranging investigation or at least the inspector general on a lot of this tying together the insurrection the coordination now that is admitted by mo brooks with the white house along with the 535 insurrectionists on the ground, along with the election interference and the big lie. I, it's all it's all connected. And I hope that there's a wide ranging investigation, not just these specific little one offs. But we'll see. And I appreciate your time today. Everybody has to check out that uh, that Fink interview on the Objections podcast. Can you tell everyone where to find you and your podcast? Absolutely. Well, uh, my podcast, uh, Objections with Adam Klasfeld, is on uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on various platforms. I am a senior reporter and editor for Law and Crime, and you can find me on Twitter at Klasfeld Reports. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, have a great weekend. Adam Klasfeld. Thank you. Thank you very much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, Beans listeners, it's AG, Allison Gill. A majority of mass-produced products today are geared toward being quick and cheap to produce instead of being high quality and meant to last. Today's sponsor, American Giant, is committed to bringing craftsmanship and attention to detail back to the marketplace. Bayard Winthrop, who's the founder and CEO of American Giant, was determined to make the best t-shirt possible because he wasn't satisfied with what was available. All this mass-produced crap, it ends up in landfills. It's unsustainable. American Giant's best-selling premium tee's iconic silhouette is made in the United States with custom heavyweight slub fabric that is non-see-through and non-torquing, unlike other slub tees on the market. American Giant spent over a year going over the fabrics one by one and tested them all. And finally, they found the perfect one. It's made from 100% American-grown cotton with a rich, varied texture. It's got a very unique look, and it holds its color and shape beautifully after wash after wash. It really does. This unique fabric and tailored fit of American Giant's premium tee sets it apart from other tees. My first impression is how substantial it was hefty and good and comfortable, and it looks good. And after many wears and washes, it's still just as soft and perfect as when it was brand new. So get your favorite tees at American-Giant.com today and use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off your first order. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. And also today, there are some things in life I like to pick out myself, so I know I've got the best one that's for me. Like mattresses, for example, bottles of wine, U.S. presidents. But what if you could do the same for hiring? Choose your ideal candidate before they even apply. That's where ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply comes in. This is amazing. It gives you, the hiring manager, the power to pick your favorites from top candidates. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send the most qualified people for your job. There's a list. You just get to pick. And then you can review the candidates and invite your top choices that you apply for. Their, their algorithm is amazing. Lauren Webb, the SVP, Senior Vice President of Talent Acquisition for Mandula Health, she raves about invite to apply. She says, I love that feature because we have a much higher follow through rate if I invite candidates. It's easy for me and it's easy for them. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employees use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply 
get on average two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for faster hiring processes. So see for yourself. Just get this exclusive web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. That's D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news while Dana is out is Amy Carrero. Hello, Amy. Hey, two days in a row, baby. Ooh, ooh, I'm so excited because we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to have good news tomorrow. So because we got a couple of big interviews, but uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. And if you do, and if anybody has any good news or confessions or corrections or any, you know, whatever, anything, anything really just send it into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And I just want to thank everybody um, for all of the kind messages and well wishes about yesterday when I had a little bit of a panic attack reading, reading the Cuomo stuff. Yeah. But I talked through it and focused and, and got through it. And, and uh, I just wanted to let everybody know I'm good. I'm OK. The good news helped me out. And that's why I love that you send it in. And, you know, I've got a really great support system. And then all of your well wishes, everything, all of it just makes everything awesome. So thank you very much. And I am doing well, if you were worried. Good. Let's kick this off. Let's get into the good news today. Uh, first up. Do it. Yeah, is a, a submission from Debbie M, pronoun she and her. Just want to say thank you so much for making my morning walk entertaining every day. Good news. I got 14,300 steps in yesterday. Wow. Whoop. Picks. Here's some picks. My girl, Dolly. Mom, Pitbull, French Bulldog, Mix. Aww. Dad, Handsome Stranger. <laughs> and granddaughter, Z, walking my other two, Cookie and Molly. Oh, sweet. Very, very cute. Cutie dogs, cutie babies, cutie every, everybody is cute in that whole family. Okay. Uh, next up, we got uh, from Anonymous, pronouns he, him. Matt Gates held his Florida or Florida man rally at my hotel on July 31st. This led to the staff, including myself, to be called pedophile enabler and white supremacist supporter, among other abhorrent names by the public who called to voice their disgust. I was so ashamed that my job would host a known insurrectionist and accused sex trafficker. I decided I needed that I could no longer work for a company that could support such garbage, so I quit in protest. Whoa. Whoa. It feels so good to stand up for what is right. Fingers crossed they lock that schmuck up. Love both podcasts. Thank you for all that you do, AG and team. Holy shit, Anonymous. Wow, that's bold. That's bold. That's real bold. And that sucks, too, that people were calling you that. I know. As if you own the fucking hotel. Right. As if that was your decision. Yeah. Yeah, you at the front desk. I know you did this. So dumb. Yeah, that sucks. Write in. Tell us what you did at the hotel. Tell us if you're looking for another job. Maybe we can get the word out. Let's get the word Um, out. Anonymous needs a job in hospitality, hotel, management, something. We got to know. And he has good scruples and a good work ethic. I can tell. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for that. And congrats. And it does feel good, right? Yeah, I I had that happen to me with the federal government. So I'm with you, Matt. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) with you, Anonymous. Oh, that little thing. Mm, Yes. All right. Next up from Melissa, pronouns she and her. Not sure what I want to say, but at least thank you. The term God's waiting room has never been more true here in Florida right now. It feels as if the whole world is working against those of us that actually want this pandemic to end. Mm -hmm. Instead of working my way through a full on panic attack, I thought of you 
and what you tell us every day to take care of yourself and take care of your mental health. I told my boss I'm out and came home for the afternoon. Currently downing a box of Cheez-Its, good choice, and a bottle of wine, better choice, and watching the Olympics. If I stayed there, I, I could feel myself knowing I would get physically sick if I didn't tend to my mental health. No shame at all. Awesome, Melissa. Yes, thumbs up. For tax, here is my baby Jor-El, who crossed oh. the Rainbow Bridge three years ago today. Also adding to my mental anguish. Oh, look at this baby. What a oh, baby. With the oh, ears. what a sweetheart. There's nothing, just, there's nothing more horrible. Oh, hate it. Hate it. But thanks for writing in. Jorel. it's super, Superman's dad, right? Oh, I don't know. But Do I have that right? And Kal-El was his name? Oh, yeah. Jorel. Kal-El, yeah. Superman. Let's see. Let's let's see if I got that right or if I got it backwards. Yeah, it's his dad. Oh shit! Oh. Good call, AG. Biological oh. father, husband of Lara, and leading scientist on the planet Krypton. We love scientists here. Yes, uh, we do. Thanks for that submission. Yes. Next up, we've got a submission from Average Granny. Pronouns she, her. I can already tell she's not an average granny, but here we go. Confession time slash background info. I was a part of a church-based community chorus. Recently, a new president was elected and knowing she was a Trumper, I quit singing. I think she's going to tell us who she is in a second. People keep asking me to return, but I just can't confess to them why I left. I just can't sit beside this woman with love in my voice when there is hate in my heart. My body will not mm. physically allow my voice to soften when she is in my presence. Bottom line, I would really like nothing more than to slap this blue-haired, bad-breath, fake-fingernailed, troll-footed, sandal-wearing, Trump-supported, racist bigot back into 1957 where she fucking belongs. But I'd hate for her to break her hip, her other <laughs> hip. <laughs> her other hip. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's a real good one. Phew, damn, that felt good to get off my chest. Thanks for allowing me to confess. I love your podcasts and picked up your show right after Trump Inc. signed off. Thanks for all that you do and uh, to keep it real and break it down so we can take it and better understand what's happening in our government. Here are my purr babies, Angel in parentheses, boy and Chloe. Named by our four-year-old granddaughter when Santa brought them. Neighbors catch and fix feral cats and adopt out any kittens. These two were feral babies, but have adapted well over the past seven years. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh. my God. Yeah, okay, so there's a there's a there's a glow up here, right? Yes. So there's two kittens, a Siamese and a tabby, and but then they're little tiny babies. And then there's grown up. Siamese and Ted's a beautiful. These are beautiful, beautiful cats. Wow, they look so soft. Well, I love that confession. This is this is how my mind works too. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna try to be nice, and then eventually it just it mm. just ends up in like uh, an explosion of profanity. So I'm I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> Thanks, average granny. Got a lot of people quitting. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, next up, I'm going to take the next two yes, here. This one's please. from Betsy. Thanks for showing up every day and sharing your gifts and wisdom with all of us. Attached is my entry for Find the Dog. Oh, oh, I see him. I found the dog immediately. I just can't with that little face. Oh, and it's nothing straight. Oh, that's a very lush yard you have. Lush I'm very yard. Jealous. Where do you live? I want to go there with the greenery. And next up, from Tim the Enchanter. Ooh. Pronouns he and him. Hello, Beans Queens. I am a new listener. Coming from cleanup on aisle 45, I heard Andrew on one of the Piat shows. I'm really enjoying Beans and Miller, she wrote. Anywho, 
I wanted to share a misheard lyric from when I was younger. My dad used to listen to Phil Collins. <laughs> You're young, aren't you, Tim? My dad used to listen to Phil Collins a lot. And I never really paid attention to most of the song names. The song was Invisible Touch. I would always sing. She sees the hat and it is on the top shelf instead of she seems to have an invisible touch. She sees the hat and it's on the top shelf. <laughs> I love it. Look, it's a top shelf hat like I'm wearing right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wish you could all see this hat. You need to post that on the on the socials. I will. Tim goes on to say to this day, I have no idea what made me think those were the lyrics as my pet tax. I'm including our four babies. Jace, a.k.a. Bacatata, the Dachshund, Sammy the Golden, Daisy the Lab, and Lexi the Goldador. Oh, man. No. These are little tinies. I mean, little big. <gasps> Look at the puppy. Yeah. They're oh, it's a puppy. Gorgeous. I would like to jump into that pool of dogs. Need it. That is a lot of doggos. That is a three dog night right there. Love it. I love it. Uh, next up, we got Mariah. Pronouns she heard. Misheard lyric for you that I totally forgotten about. Picture this. I was but a young, awkward, easily embarrassed teen in carpool one afternoon. Oh, no. I was in the back of our giant wood paneled cream colored Oldsmobile station wagon. My mother was driving and she was the cool mom who let us pick I'm the, the cool mom. Station. Yeah, I'm, I'm the not cool like mom. a regular mom. I'm a cool I'm mom. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> Do you want some alcohol? Uh, she also <laughs> let us chew as much gum as we wanted because it kept us quieter. So there I was chomping on about 12 pieces of gum and Madonna's La Isla Bonita came on the radio. To my horror, my mother started singing along, which was bad enough. (laughs) But then she sang the wrong words when she sang last night I dreamt of some bagels. bagels. (laughs) Oh boy. Instead of last night I dreamt of San Pedro. That's amazing. Mm. Between the gum Mm. and the embarrassment, I almost died twice. But it's been last night I dreamt of some bagels ever since. For pet tax, here's another one of Hammy McBacon Fat uh, just after his last haircut and pouting hard about it. Oh, that's cute. I remember Hammy McBacon Fat. And I tell you, you know, when I was in my 20s, 30s, I, I dreamt of San Pedro and now I do dream of yes. some bagels. Some so, bagels. Some you know. everything bagels, please. Mm-hmm. Give it mm-hmm. to me. All right. Next up from Laura, pronoun she and her. And by the way, Hammy McBacon fat is just oh, so adorable. I mean, I don't know what he's pouting about because he looks cute as a button. Cute as a bagel. Mm. <laughs> and next up from Laura, pronoun she and her. I had a follow up with Victoria Decisis. <laughs> oh, here we go. A similar strategy I employed with my last dog. Sarah... She had bone cancer and the vet had informed me it wasn't safe for her to use the stairs anymore. Before I go on, let me tell you about Victoria Decisis. This yeah. was a cat who was waking up at 4 a.m. To, to yell at the birds. And so the mom started getting up at 4 a.m. to take the cat outside on a harness to see the birds. And after about three or four days, the cat wasn't having it anymore. And she yeah. started she sleeping trained, She trained the behavior out. Yep, yep. Careful what you wish for, Victoria. Yep. And so to continue here, it wasn't safe for the for the dog to use the stairs anymore. So I put a gate on the stairs. And since she was used to coming upstairs with me at bedtime, I slept downstairs on the couch for a few nights. Oh, that's so sweet to help her transition to the new sleeping arrangements. The couch was not the best way to go to sleep. So I eventually went back upstairs. But after I settled in, Sarah would bark to be let up. Oh, baby. 
After a few nights struggling with this, I hit on a solution. When she insisted on coming upstairs with me, I would carefully carry her up with me and immediately brush her teeth before bedtime. <laughs> After a while, she stopped asking to come up. Oh, interesting. <laughs> she, got, oh, she got closer to the end of life. I slept on the couch again so I could provide every last bit of comfort I could. Oh. I still miss her, but I have two new dogs who've helped me through the pandemic. They were a bonded pair of older dogs that I named Docker and Kubernetes. Uh, which is a kind of software developer equivalent of peanut butter and jelly. The names immediately endeared my dogs to my coworkers who ask about them all the time. Sorry, this is mostly a sad story, but I wanted to provide you with another strategy in case you get more pet cases mm. in Amy's court. Dong, dong. Dong, dong. Pet tax attached. Sarah by herself. No, the two wait. pics of Docker and Kubernetes together. <laughs> Docker is the larger dog. I doubt you'll have much trouble with the breeds. Oh, yeah. Look at these cattle dogs. They're tiny. One's tiny. One's very big and cute. <gasps> look at the chihuahua. I love chihuahuas now. I used to not be a fan. And now I just absolutely adore I them. I think they're just so cute and nervous. Yep. So there's the Border Collie mix, chihuahua. And for Docker, best guess is a Lab Rottweiler Border Collie mix. These are beautiful puppers. Beautiful, beautiful. Lots of great puppers today. Yeah, so lots of great submissions. Thank you so much, everyone. Yep. I have a travel day tomorrow, and uh, but you'll be getting content. Don't worry, I won't leave you without content. And we'll all be back next Tuesday with the news. We'll be back. And uh, since I'm going away uh, and leaving you with great content in the form of interviews, that probably means somebody will be indicted, so that's kind of (laughs) cool. And uh, (laughs) That's just your luck. Some big news will drop. Well, yeah, not you'll be able 40,000 feet enjoying like a white claw. Not that they serve white claws on planes, but if they did, you'd be enjoying one and then have to sober up real quick. Ain't no laws when you're drinking the claws. Yeah. All right. Any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I hope you have a very safe flight and have so much fun in New York. Uh, I wish I could go and I'll miss you. I will miss everyone, too. And we'll be seeing some patrons at our meet and greet in New York. We've got the location nailed down. We're going to be sending that out to your I think your Patreon email and or posting it on the Patreon page. So check that out. And until uh, till next time, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.